Now is the text for today's sermon. Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 7 and 15 to 16. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy, worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That was the word of the Lord. Thank you, B. You're right. We did miss that part, but then we got it. Someone posted on our Facebook page, what are we resisting? Well, I, there are a lot of things in this world that do not long for us as a spiritual community and individuals to flourish. This is why we're calling our vision that. That and, as I've mentioned before, I just, I'm just not a, we're going to have 2020 vision and 2020 guy. You know, <laughs> it's just not my thing. And I wonder if you wonder what you're called to do. And that question immediately bugs me because the way we deal with it in the 21st century, especially in the West, is overly individualistically. The scriptures, uh, by implication, by command, by description, never go there. Um, Always assuming that we're doing these things in community. And there are things that every Christian is called to. I'm going to talk about those for a few minutes first. And then there are things that you're called to individually. I'm going to talk about that also. This is the title of a sermon series. Uh, that a friend of mine did on vision and is all in and he's more of a John Belushi type preacher than me in terms of was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Like, come on, all in! And I want you to be all in and I want to be all in which also includes our limits. Which also includes the fact that all of you need sleep and food and to be able to keep the electricity on and I'm getting into my third point because even as I wrote this outline, no one writes them for me all in. I'm just like, I don't, I don't love that phrase. <laughs> Welcome to my interior world. What is it that all Christians are called to? It's worship and worship is every move of allegiance that you make to the king. When you listen 
You didn't feel like it, but you do, because Jesus, when you follow, when you pray, when you serve, when you sing, when you receive communion, these are acts of allegiance to the true king whose kingdom is not yet visible, but is in existence and is real. It's also part of our, our, our worship is part of our corporate time together on Sundays. I wonder if you, how many of you sense the importance of your worship. Because if God exists and you have free will, then your worship, any of those moves that I just listed and the other hundred we could come up with as a group, are the most profound things we ever do as a human being. It's the most fundamental need and the most fundamental part of who you are as a human made in the image of God is to respond to him through allegiance. Be that through listening or song or prayer or service or how you deal with finances, etc. And yet, as I say that, I wonder how many of you are wondering, how come it never feels that way? Or how come it seldom feels that way? Or some of you are like, it always feels that way. Please come tell me later about that. Um, I'll preach it. For those of you that long for your worship to feel a certain way or to, or for your intellect and your emotion and your gut, for those things to be integrated, I invite you to invite the Holy Spirit into that conversation. I don't know if you've read the Psalms, but much of their questions and angst and emotion surround the question of, God, I know you're a refuge. How come it doesn't feel like it? God, I know that you're a rock and that your steadfast love is better than life as we use, utilize in our call to worship. And yet my life doesn't feel that way. And I probably use the word feeling too much and what I mean by feeling is an integration of intellect, affections, gut. Those of you that believe and long to sense, I invite you to invite the Holy Spirit into that. But all followers of Jesus are called to worship because God exists. We've been given free will. That is the beginning of a fundamental allegiance to the king, both on Sunday morning and throughout the week. All in with community. And do you know the theological backbone of the community? This is so important, and I'm so nervous I'm going to explain this well, and some of my professors are going to watch this and be like, he doesn't understand the Trinity. How did we give him a certificate of graduation? But if God exists eternally, if God was not created, and if God exists eternally in three persons who have always loved one another and been in relationship with one another, then that means that he created us as an outflow of his character. Do you know how important that is? If he didn't exist in Trinity, if he doesn't exist eternally and lovingly, then maybe he created us because he was lonely. And maybe he created us because he was bored. And maybe that's not actually love. The way that it is if his creation was actually an expression of who he is. And therefore, we're called into community. And this is the most uh, easy to understand, mundane, and riskiest part of our vision, is that you're called to do spiritual friendship with some of the people in this room. And it is risky, and your feelings will be hurt, and you'll probably hurt someone else's feelings. And you're like, no, I won't, because I won't talk. Well, that could hurt someone's feelings. They might need your words. And I said this a few weeks ago, but I want to say it again because it kind of came to me and I was like, oh, that sounds pretty good. The kingdom of God is not a lonely place. 
And so part of your calling as a follower of Christ is to do spiritual friendship with some of the people in this room, to risk wisely into friendship that we might, as Mike read in Ephesians, grow up. This is how we grow up, is through our worship and through our community, our spiritual friendship, and then through our faithful presence. Faithful presence is a term we've been using for a year and a half or so to talk about our efforts as a group and as individuals to be what Jesus calls salt and light in a city on a hill. I wonder if, um, so I preached on Revelation all last fall, and um, I think it'll be the last time I preached that book. Um, It's very challenging. You gotta say sexual immorality a lot of times to read it. Um, I should really stick to my notes. So, so, in terms of revelation, and these are old terms, so it's okay if you're not familiar with them, but how many of you know your stance on the millennium? So, one of the problems with understanding revelation, or which is more important that we be grasped by it, I think, than understand it, is you have to decide, like, when the millennium happens if you want to really grapple with the book, even though it's just a few verses. And in the 80s and 90s, when I was beginning to learn about Christianity, uh, there was a lot of discussion about this. And so there's historic premillennial and premillennial and amillennial and postmillennial. And there are other things too. There are whole ways of reading the book. But how many of you actually know your stance on when it happens? Okay, good. How many of you are thinking, whatever you said in the fall, that's amillennial. I never used that term because I, don't, I want us to be grasped by the visions of the book, not learn that. But here's my point. No matter how you understand end time stuff, and especially the book of Revelation, the hope for the world are followers of Christ, acting within the imperfect institution of the local church. Regardless of exactly what it's going to look like when it happens, regardless of when it happens, in the in-between time after Jesus ascends into heaven and before he returns, the hope of the world, Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I hope that you see by implication how relevant this is to your lives. One of my friends despises, uh, a friend who's a pastor in upstate New York, he despises how much his people expect him to make the text relevant. And I don't really mind that. If you expect me to make it relevant, that sort of seems like I'm doing my job. Maybe he'll listen to the sermon. That'll create an awkward conversation. But I hope that you see that in learning to worship which is any act of allegiance to the king, in learning to wisely but intentionally risk into community, in putting into our calendars and being willing to be a faithful presence to the neighbors we find ourselves in, what happens is we're being grown up. And isn't that our desire? To achieve the maturity or to to be grown by the Spirit into the maturity that Paul describes in Ephesians 4? Psalm 1 describes a follower of Christ as becoming like a tree good for the environment around it, offering shade, nourishment, and stability. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing in us, those of us that are followers of Christ. And it is why we lean into a vision statement, not because it's compelling, but because it's true that this is the guide to flourishing for followers of Christ. As we learn to be a follower and a friend to those we're in spiritual community with, and friends 
to the people God has put into our lives, we're grown up into that kind of stability. What a blessing to us and to our neighbors that the Holy Spirit does that. And I don't, I don't know how much the, outside of Christianity, how much we use the word calling. Um, you guys can answer this. You can email me later or talk with me after the service, and I mean that. Um, but with Christianity, it's important. You saw it a couple of times in Ephesians chapter 4, and, and it is the implication of any text of the Bible rightly preached. Well, if this is true, if God is actually like this, what do I do? How then shall we live? My first uh, preaching professor at Covenant Seminary, Brian Chapel, he used to sit under Dr. Rayburn when he was a seminary, when he was a seminary student, and I don't know, maybe more than 50% of the sermons, I can't remember how he set this up, Dr. Rayburn would just be sitting in the back, and if his arms were folded, you knew that you didn't apply the sermon. So it was like, you extolled the promises of God, but so what? God is this good, and the gospel is this sweet. So what? What should I do? How then shall I, should I live? And so we approach calling. There are things that we all do. Worship, neighbor, faithful presence. One of the most encouraging things to me in the year and a half since we started using the term faithful presence is to find out how many of our people were already serving. They had already found a place to be salt and light when and where they could with the neighbors God had put into their life. I think we have to do it as a church also, but those people don't necessarily need to, like good for you. So there are things that all Christians do, and yet all of you are different. Every single one of you knows something that no one else in the room knows as well as you do. I mean that. And it's humbling to me, especially when I'm trying to preach a, a sermon on what then are we called to. Everyone in the room can do something that other, others can do, but you can do the best if we're honest about the number of things to know and do and be in the world, right? Everyone in this room has gifts. And, and, and frankly, it's a violation of humility to pretend that you don't have those gifts. Quoting Pat Lanchoni from a leadership video that some of our, our teams watched a couple weeks ago, and I loved it. Like, humility is not false modesty. Some of you are gifted to do this. I'd like to know that. I'm hoping in preaching this series that all of us will engage at least once a year, I'll talk about limits in just a minute, with our worship, with our community, and as a faithful presence. What does that mean? Well, it means you usher, or you're a greeter, or you work with our kids, or you do this. Are you gifted to do this and I don't know it? I would love to know that. I can't preach every Sunday, and I don't want to. I love preaching. I like doing it a lot, but not every Sunday. Can you do this musical stuff? By the way, who noticed where Dave was sitting today? Yeah, that was fun. He doesn't want me to talk about this anymore, but we had a first-time drummer today who did a really good job. So my hope in preaching on this is that we learn where we're called in terms of serving with our worship gifts, moving into intentional spiritual friendship and community and in faithful presence. And I concocted a really lovely guide for us this morning. If you're in the first service, I actually passed out a handout. Never done this before. All new things in, in 2020. Um, for years, I have talked about calling, even since before I was at uh, the barn, as a mixture of our gifts and circumstances and affections held up before God. 
and the light of our friends that will be honest with us about what we're actually good at and not good at. And that's where we learn where to serve. And I think this is a guide that transcends serving in church. Hopefully it can encourage you throughout what you're doing. I'll tell you something hopefully funny. It's not in my notes, which typically means it's funnier. If I write something in the joke and it never works, but sometimes I say something in passing. Most of the time when people say Venn diagram, I picture the Vitruvian man. You know, like the guy that's like, his arms are moving. And I'm always like, wow, that person's so intelligent. I have no idea how that concept has to do with the Vitruvian man. And I'm trying to coach myself. A Venn diagram are overlapping circles. (laughs) Was it funny? I didn't really have a punchline. I didn't finish it. I have a friend that helps me with my stories, and I forgot to run this one by him. That one could have gone better rhetorically. (laughs) We'll all move on. Okay, so... Your calling as an individual is held up to God and to your friends and to your own heart, your gifts and your circumstances and your affections. So affections is what breaks your heart. The injustice that you see and long to be made right, they're the things that you care about. But that's not it. It's also, that's not, that's not all there is to it. It's also gifts. What are you actually good at? What are you not good at? My go-to with this is I would love to cook snacks. And you know what they would do? They'd be like, thank you, let's put Matt's brownies under the other brownies and so that we only eat them if they eat the other ones. And my, my, they're edible, but I'm not as good at it as some of our other people. And you, many of you know that firsthand. It's also our circumstances. And this is, the, this is the thing that a lot of people, especially guys that are like, who's all in, let's go, they forget to reference. Like, you have circumstances in your life. I hope that we get better and better and better at bringing groups the do rescuing down to the CFR. And I spoke about that last week and we can always talk about it individually, but here's the thing. There are a lot of groups that come in that you will not be able to serve because of your gender. That's okay. That's one of your circumstances. Your age is part of your circumstances and therefore affects calling. The amount of money that you have, the, the, the education, education overlaps with all of them, but especially your circumstances is part of your calling. So what happens is if we ignore this, If we're only serving out of our circumstances, so what's in front of us and no one else is gonna do it, well, we can do that. We can survive, but we're not gonna flourish. Sometimes we serve out of our circumstances and out of our affections, so that would be me cooking. But it's kind of selfish, you know what I mean? Like, we're serving, but are we actually that helpful? Or are we just, like, my heart's in it? Yeah, but you're not good at it. I I could pick a guitar up. My guitar is actually under the stage. I could play a song for you. I could even sing it. And by sing, I mean you would recognize the words. <laughs> it would not sound good. Right? Thank you. If we're only serving out of our gifts, it means we're really good at it, but our heart's not in it, and it probably isn't a good circumstantial fit. We kind of feel like a robot. Not a good fit. We have to do it sometimes, but not ideal. Circumstances plus affections a little bit selfish, but you're more like the unhelpful student in the room. You know, if I'm in the kitchen, I'm in the way. And I'm enjoying it, and they're pretending like it's okay because I'm the pastor, but ultimately, am I actually helping our hospitality team? I am good at making the coffee, but the other thing's not as good at. If we're only serving through our circumstances and our gifts, you're gonna burn out if your heart's not in it. And this is where, church, we gotta be real thoughtful because someone's gonna ask you to do stuff. It might be me, it might be someone else. And you can. And your circumstances will allow it. But if you have no affection for it, you will get burned out. And you you won't last as long as a, a leader or servant. You might need to leave the church 
because you're serving not out of where your heart is. That's not all there is to it, and there are times that we will need all of you to serve, even if your heart's not in it, but not long-term. If you're only serving out of your affections and your gifts, this is when your relationships start to be harmed, right? I love it, and I'm good at it, but I have little kids at home, so you can't be gone every night. I love it, and I'm good at it, but I'm older, and if I serve in this physical capacity all day, I won't actually be able to get out of bed tomorrow. It's a real circumstance, right? Knees, back, you know? What we long for before God and asking our friends that will be honest with them is how do we get to that middle part where we care and we're good at it and it's a fit with our circumstances. So everyone liked my Vitruvian man, right? Oh, sorry. And it's not just uh, our calling, it's our limits. Did you catch the beginning of Ephesians chapter four, there's so much in there about bearing with one another and humility. It's, as Paul moves into these grand descriptions of what you're called to, what you're good at and care about and what your circumstances would press you into in terms of service and, and worship and faithful presence, there's such an understanding that, um, We're gonna get to abide with one another. One of the things I enjoy about my job and despise by turns is asking you guys to do stuff. And you know, the reason is I know know some of you well and some of you I've, I've literally never met and yet we have stuff to do as a church and so sometimes I end up calling you and the reason I enjoy it is sometimes people say I was hoping you would ask me to do this because I'm gifted in it and I love it and I didn't know how to get involved. The reason I sometimes despise it is I don't know your limits. I know something about your story if you've been around the church for a little while. Others are gonna ask you to do something. I don't know if they like it more or less than me. We've had leaders uh, go through rough things in the middle of their term on leadership and they've said, is it okay if I can't make it to every meeting? And I try to always say the same thing. Your limits are always welcome here. You can never, ever, ever be in more than one place at one time. Right? Basic theology. God exists. He's omnipresent. You exist and you're really not. I struggled with that one a lot this week. I made it to the hospital a couple of times, but not as many times as I wanted to because I have an 11-year-old and a 13-year-old. And there's more to do at the church than make those visits and it bothered me. You can't know everything. Neither can I. God does, and your limits are always welcome here. You can't fix everything, not even you, sir, though you can really fix a lot. And you're not supposed to. Only God can. Only God does. One of my favorite things over time is interacting with leaders that have told me no before, because that tells me they're at least thinking about their limits. And I know that participation in church and church activities is challenging for almost all of us. For a few of you, you have plenty of time and you know that it's part of what you do. I hear this from families a lot, that Sunday is the only time that they can be together and rest. And I love that and then I wonder about it at the same time. So I love that that's a category because the world would give you 24-7, right? 
And so I love that you have the category that there is a day that's supposed to be set apart for rest. And at the same time, if that's the only time in your week, I think you're going to need to kind of hack away at that schedule. And if that's true for you, I'm going to give you some overly specific advice that you're probably not going to take. For three months, don't try and change anything, but pay close attention to your schedule. And after that three months, look at what you did and didn't do. Measure that against how you want to do life as a human and as a family and as a follower of Christ, and then begin to make some changes. And I say that because I know it's not simple. None of us can radically change our calendar from week to week. Yet I hear that from people, and I long for their family to have time of rest, and scripturally speaking, that rest includes corporate worship. And I know this is a busy place, and kids sometimes like it and sometimes not. It is a, it is a challenging deal. Your limits are always welcome here. Maybe it would be okay to not have boundaries if you were a time-traveling octopus with four brains, no feelings, and you never needed to sleep or chill out. This is a quote from Henry Cloud, the author of Boundaries. I want to remind you, even as I'm encouraging you to get involved with the church, you have limits. When you're here, be here. Don't be here all the time. When you're not here, rest. Enjoy some diversions and mundane gifts. Be here some of the time. You want me to send it to you? I can send it to you. You don't have to take a picture. I'll send it to you. It's fine. I follow him on Instagram. That's why I know what it's really called. So I hope that you're all in because that includes both your calling and your limits, which are influenced and informed by your gifts and your affections and your circumstances that we learn through prayer, through conversation with others, through this spiritual community. And this is for the life of the world. No matter how you view the... Oh, sorry. That's my fault. No matter how you view end times theology, it all states that in the time in between Jesus' ascension into heaven, before he comes back and heals, we are the hope of the world. How humbling is that? That in sharing the gospel, that in loving our neighbors, sometimes with words, probably more often with deeds and then words later, we're the hope of the world, that it heal, that it be at peace, that justice and true humility reign. If the gospel is true, it not only frees our hearts into a reconciled relationship with God, it frees us into the world as light and life to it and into our homes when we're tired. One of the reasons that I've added uh, more liturgical elements to our service is because um, oftentimes the way that we run church is, you know, four fast, awesome songs and one hymn and then an inspiring talk and then we go home and we feel kind of inspired. And, you know, I'm, I'm training for a 100-mile bike race. You can pray for me. I'm still not sure how my brothers-in-law tricked me into doing that. Um, and it'd be like, well, we got the bike shorts and the helmet and the shoes, show up to the gym, and we're going to play some really good music. 
or we're giving you an inspiring talk, and I got the gear on, and I find myself going back to my car, and I'm like, my legs don't feel any different. It's, this is why I've changed the liturgy a little bit, to include confession, to remind us not only to praise, but also to ask boldly for help, to utilize the Psalms in that, because the life that we're called into is more like a marathon than it is a sprint. And God has given us tools to navigate it. What Paul calls to Titus training grace, the movements of the Spirit in corporate worship that train us and make us stronger so that we're not only inspired but also strengthened to move towards God and neighbor, not only on Sunday morning but throughout the week. Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul writes it this way to the Galatian churches. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is not only the hope of our own flourishing, it is the hope of the world. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, you are so strong, kind, patient, loving and affectionate towards us. We praise you for that, even as we have issues with some of those words because of our stories. Jesus, we are so thankful for your amazing grace and ask that you help us remember it and remembrance it to one another, that our hearts might be at rest knowing that you have called us your own and then enlivened us into your service. Holy Spirit, please move amongst these followers of Jesus. Empower and strengthen them through the filling of your spirit that we might lead lives of life with the families you've put into our lives, with the neighbors we are near in job and geography, and with these spiritual family members you've called into our lives. Father, Son, and Spirit, have mercy on us and make us whole. Amen.